Right, why don't you um, grab your coffees or your cold waters or whatever it is you're using to keep yourself refreshed this morning. Um, wipe the remnants of jam from your lips and your fingers and take a seat. I'll try and get, get through this as quickly as possible so we can all go and enjoy some sunshine. Um, <laughs> for those of you who don't know me, my name is Mike. Um, I am the husband of the incredible Lindsay. Yeah. Thanks, James. Um, and part of the staff team that helped Neil and Kate lead this wonderful church that you're visiting this morning, if you're just visiting or if you're part of this church, we try and lead you in any way we can. Um, Neil and Kate send their love from Leaf. Am I quite echoey this morning? It's just me. The anointing. There we go. Neil and Kate send their love from, from Leafy, East Sussex, where they're spending the weekend with a small group of leaders from the church. I'm sure they're having a wonderful weekend in this weather, but um, if you were coming here expecting the dulcet tones of Neil Woodward this morning, I'm afraid to disappoint you, but um, you're stuck with me instead. So... Some of you may know that I've recently taken to playing an online quiz app called HQ. So what better way to start today's sermon than with a quiz? So what am I? A mere four inches long or so, about three ounces in weight, usually invisible, and on the rare occasions when I'm seen, I'm a pretty ugly, ugly brute. I have no bones, but I'm able to break many a heart, and I can be used for both immense pain or intense pleasure. Any guesses? No. I'm, of course, talking about the tongue. The tongue, scientifically, quite a piece of kit. <laughs> James, you're not helping. <laughs> Useful for helping us swallow our food. Our tongues have between 2,000 and 10,000 taste buds. I'm told that those who have more than 10,000 taste buds are called super tasters. Um, a fairly handy toothpick on occasion. Lindsay was baking a cake yesterday afternoon while I was finishing off preparing this talk and I got to use my tongue to clean up all the implements that she'd been using to mix the cake batter, so it's a good bonus. Um, and it's not just an old wives' tale, but you can actually determine a lot about someone's health from their tongue, or so I'm told. We'll ask the paramedic in the room later. Yeah. Um, many a childhood sick day has been thwarted by Mothers saying, let me see your tongue, followed by an equally dismissive, you'll live, get traced, go to school. Um, this guy's name, we have the next slide. This guy's name is Nick. And according to the Guinness Book of Records, he has the longest tongue in the world. It measures 10 centimeters from his lips to the tip. Most people's tongues are 10 centimeters from the back of their throat to the tip, so just to give you some idea. 
Um, not only is he able to touch his nose with it, he can also lick his own elbow. <laughs> Hands up who can touch their noses with their tongue. You guys are a boring bunch this morning. Eh? <laughs> Hands up who can lick their own elbow. <laughs> good effort, good effort, but not quite. Anyway, if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me to James chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So let's pray quickly. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you um, that we can gather together in your name, and we just invite you here this morning. We say, come Holy Spirit, and open up our hearts to your words this morning. And we pray that we will leave here a little bit more like Jesus than when we arrived. In Jesus' name, amen. So, for those of you who've been around over the last few weeks, Neil's been doing a series on the book of James, looking at a number of characteristics that make us more mature Christians. And for James, one of those marks of maturity is how we handle our tongues. Back in World War II, apparently, there used to be a slogan Careless talk costs lives. And what James is saying here is that it's not just in the context of war that this applies. What James is saying is that whether it's wartime or not, every time we open our mouths carelessly, we are wielding a potentially deadly weapon. Careless talk costs lives. And so, sounding rather like my boarding school matron, James says this to us, watch your tongue. And basically, his one piece of advice to us in this passage. That's his one piece of advice to us. He expresses it eloquently, lyrically, poetically, but pretty basically, that's the essence of what he's saying. Watch your tongue. And I think it might help us to divide this section into three parts. First of all, James 
homes and on a group of people for whom advice about watching our tongues is especially important, namely teachers. And then what he does is gives us two general reasons as to why the tongue can be so dangerous. And just in case you thought you were off the hook because you sat here saying, well, I don't teach anyone, so I'm all right, Jack. Not so fast. This applies to all of us, I'm afraid. So, first up, the tongue and teachers. Let's have a look at verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. I think it was George, George Bernard Shaw who said this, and I say this with um, the caution of someone who is married to a teacher and has two sister-in-laws who are teachers. He who can does. He who cannot teaches. And then I'm not sure who added the addendum. He who cannot teach teaches teachers. And he who cannot teach teachers becomes the Secretary of State for Education. <laughs> I'm just kidding, of course. If you're a teacher or a fan of Damien Hines, please send all your complaints to Manny at SWLV. <laughs> but for all teachers, great and small, and by that, James would most definitely include those of us unwise enough to get up here on a Sunday morning in front of you lot, um, as well as those of you who find yourselves once a month teaching over in Vineyard Kids or Youth, as well as those who wax lyrical from their favorite armchair on a Wednesday or Thursday evening at house group, or any other equally unlikely place, job club or food bank or discussing Jesus at work or wherever it is. James begins his chapter about the tongue with these words of caution. Not many of you should become teachers because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Don't aspire to the role of instructor too hastily, is in essence what he's saying. And why? Because these are things we need to be aware of. We who teach will be judged more strictly, which, if you're in my line of work, is not great news. Um, the truth is that those who lead and teach are accountable. One day, I'm going to have to stand before God and not only give an account of myself, which is going to be hard enough, um, but also for what I've done with you lot or to you lot. Um, as it is, I have to give an, a weekly account to Neil and Kate to lead this church. Um, so if you have any issues with everything I say today, please feel free to contact them. Um, you can email Mike at SWRV and I'll pass it on for you. Um, <laughs> teachers are going to be judged more strictly, and the reason James gives as to why this is so is because teachers have to use their tongues. Words are the tools of the trade for, for a teacher. And whilst those words potentially can do a lot of good, they also have the potential for quite a lot of bad. I don't know if many of you have, I'm sure, you know, we, we, we all went to school, so we all had good teachers and bad teachers, and <clears throat> the words that a, that a bad teacher spoke to you will stick with you for a long, long time. 
Don't be a teacher, says James, unless you're sure that you've mastered the tool, which is, still amazes me that Neil and Kate actually let me get up here every morning, well, not every Sunday, but some Sundays, um, because they, they get to actually see how little mastery I have over my tongue sometimes. <laughs> Pretty regularly, and with redoubled vigor during weeks when I get to stand up here, I pray Psalm 141, verse 3, which says this, Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Being the youngest of, of five children and the smallest of three brothers, um, I couldn't really compete physically growing up, but my tongue sure got me into enough trouble in our family. Um, and if you've hung around me long enough in this church, you'll know that it continues to get me into a fair amount of trouble to this very day. Um, so, how am I doing so far? Am I in any trouble yet? <laughs> no. Okay, I'm good. James says I'm good, so I'm all good. Okay, so why are we to watch our tongue so vigilantly? Well, James gives us two reasons. The first of which is that the tongue is too much. If we look at verse 3. Although it's small, the tongue has potential for evil out of all proportion to its size. When we, put bit, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take the ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but makes great boasts. James is telling us that it's very important that we not overlook the tongue. Small as it is, it has huge power. And the metaphors he chooses are striking. First, you have that of a horse. I don't know if any of you have ever ridden horses. Um, I had um, the pleasure of, of riding horses growing up in Zimbabwe. And they're pretty terrifying animals when you look at them. But then you get on them, and it's amazing how just with some small bit of metal in its mouth, you can control this huge beast of an animal. Or take a ship a vast ocean-going vessel that can be steered, again, by a relatively small piece of metal or wood, depending on the ship and where it was made. In just the same way, although the tongue is, very, is a very small part of the body, what James is saying is that it can make a very big difference to us, just like the bit on a horse or the rudder on a ship. The tongue has a significance out of all proportion to its size, making up less than 0.1% of body weight, but just consider how much trouble the tongue can stir up. The next point is the tongue is trouble. Verse 5 says this, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. I just love James. Eh? Um, in these verses, James uses three rather difficult phrases for us to get our heads around. First, he talks about the tongue being a world of evil among the parts of the body. A world of evil. It's a pretty odd phrase. Maybe a fountain of evil or the root of evil would be easier to grasp, but what's he getting at? Some people translate it using the word adornment or decoration because the Greek word cosmos can have that meaning. 
And if, if that's the case, then I guess you might be saying that the tongue, used in a particular way, can make even something evil appear beautiful, sort of adorn it or make it attractive, certainly, if we're unwary. Other people think he's using the word to refer to the enormous quantity of evil the tongue can unleash. A whole cosmos, a whole universe of unrighteousness. Personally, bearing in mind the metaphor of fire James has just used, I think he's driving at contamination or infection or destruction. If you remember back to James chapter 1, Neil taught us about keeping ourselves from being polluted by the world as we recognize that the world in which we live is contaminated by a sort of moral infection. And what James seems to be saying is that this contamination, which is all around us in what we call the world, actually has an outpost right here in the middle of our bodies in the form of our tongue. Like a fire in a forest, it burns everything it touches. Then there's the second, second tricky phase that he uses. It corrupts the whole body. Now, I'm no medic. Um, I trained as a horticulturalist, so I can tell you a little bit about plants, but um, if you want medical advice, go to James or Josh or someone else. Um, but I can't see quite how our physical organs can actually be affected by the tongue, unless James is referring to some sort of sickness that can come upon us by the wrong use of our tongues. So when he says the whole body, he either means our personality, in which case he's saying that the wrong use of the tongue can corrupt our character, our sense of who we are in the way that we articulate and verbalize thought, negative thoughts and feelings, which then get ingrained into our personalities sort of agreements that we make with ourselves about things that just aren't true. Um, Lindsay and I have taken to, to using um, a website called Igniting Hope, which is run by a guy called Steve... I don't know, look up ignitinghope.com. Anyway, he's, he's, he's a guy, he's American, um, and he's got a number of declarations that we, we speak over ourselves on a daily basis. Um, Steve Buckley. Um, so he's got a number of biblical declarations, and we speak these over our lives because it's just a reminder of, of who we are, who God's made us to be, who God's called us to be. And the more we speak those over, over our lives, the less we are speaking lies over our lives. Um, anyway, going off piece to bit there, so I need to be careful. Or maybe he's using the body in the same way that Paul does as a metaphor for the church. And that, used in the wrong way, the tongue can spread evil and sickness throughout the whole body and across the whole fellowship. Whatever way we interpret these tricky phrases, there's no doubting that the scale of damage that James sees is flowing from the tongue is pretty huge. And that comes out again in the third difficult phrase that he uses in verse 6 when he says, the tongue sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Literally what he's saying is, it sets the wheel of birth on fire, which I'm sure made a whole load of sense in the first century, but leaves me a little bit confused. He might mean what we'd call the wheel of fate, or the ups and downs of life. It's like the tongue spoils the best and worst of all that happens to us. The best because of ingratitude, and the worst because of complaint. Or it could mean, as our translation has it, the whole course of life. And if that's the case, what he's saying is that an evil tongue 
unlike many of our passions, isn't something that is moderated or corrected by age. <clears throat> in fact, if you're anything like me, it's something that dogs us from the cradle to the grave. It's as active and potent at the end of our lives as it was at the beginning, the whole course of life. And in fact, something we often see is that the sins of the tongue are often more obvious and noticeable when we're old rather than when we're young. And then the final things James is trying to tell us about the evil potential of the tongue is that its force of destructiveness is derived from the spiritual inferno. It itself is set on fire by hell. Don't we just love James? Such a cheerful guy. So the tongue is too much. The tongue is trouble. James's reasons for stressing the importance of watching our tongues. Let's not underestimate it. Easy to overlook because it seems so innocent. But the amount of evil it can generate, the extent of damage it can do, is immense. Now the difficulty is, as we all know, that watching our tongues isn't as easy as all that. And in this final section, James tells us why. And what he says is that of all aspects of our human personality, sins of the tongue are the most difficult to tame and to master. Verse 7 and 8 says this about watching our tongues. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. What we've got here is the image of a venomous snake, which even when you think you've got it tamed and turned into a pet and named it Slinky, at the end of the day, it's still a deadly poisonous snake. In the same way, it's as though the tongue somehow resists sanctification. You can try to tame it, to domesticate it, take it home to meet your mother, but it's still deadly. Some, somehow the tongue seems beyond all control, a restless evil full of deadly poison. And sometimes that's the poison of lies and deception, whether our lies are exaggeration in order to impress people, or whether they're lies of evasion in order to avoid embarrassment, or lies of fabrication so that, we've got, so that we've got something interesting to say, even if it's not true, we get into all kinds of mess over all kinds of deceit. Sometimes it's poison in the form of malice. We'll just keep this between you and me, or I'm telling you this in strictest confidence, or I know I can trust you not to let this go any further. No matter how you dress it up, it's gossip. And... According to the Bible, gossip is sin. It's just terrible insecurity, and it's another indicator that actually we're lacking the marks of maturity. For some, it's anger, and our tongues explode with venom like spitting cobras. For some, it's arrogance, never being, never being able to say sorry. For some, it's self-centeredness, always needing to be the focus of attention, waxing lyrical and holding court with their witty banter. Most of which is just a front, again, for desperate insecurity and lack of spiritual maturity. And what James is saying is that if there is an inconsistency in a person, or what we might call immaturity, some corner as yet unsanctified by God, then you can be sure it'll become apparent, if nowhere else, in what they say and how they say it. And that's what chapter 9 is all about, watching for consistency. Consistency. 
for watching for inconsistency. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Inconsistency is one of those themes that runs throughout James. He's been hammering away at it from chapter 1, way back when Neil started the series. Um, we talked about inconsistency in the way we pray. Also in chapter 1, we talked about inconsistency in our Bible study. Chapter 2, we talked about inconsistency in our attitudes towards people, treating rich and poor people differently. We also spoke about inconsistency in our practice, believing one thing but doing another, as Neil so kindly reminded us last week. And here's one more example of inconsistency, this time in our speaking. Saying one thing in one place and another kind of thing somewhere else. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Of course not. There is no more sensitive a barometer to our spirituality than our tongues. John Mumford, I remember when, when we first arrived here, one of the first things I remember him saying is, um, if you want to know what's inside someone, just try squeezing them like a toothpaste tube. And it's when we're under pressure, when we're tired, when we're stressed, we get squeezed a bit, and what's inside comes out, and usually with our tongues. Um, why? Because when all is said and done, not one of us can tame the tongue. It requires supernatural grace. It requires a sovereign and supernatural work of the Spirit of God. That's the only way this unruly beast gets subdued. We need Jesus, I'm afraid. There is no other way to tame our tongues, according to James. We need Jesus. We need the master horse whisperer who can teach us to bridle our words. We need Jesus, the master pilot who can navigate conversations. James is saying this is going to take more than your natural ability. There's no man who can tame the tongue, only Jesus. Jesus, who committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Jesus, of whom all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Jesus, no one ever spoke this, the man this way does. Always true, always noble, always humble, never undisciplined, never malicious, never unkind. None of us can ever tame the tongue, but as we come to him, as we come to Jesus, he and he alone can enable us to be its master. That's why the tongue is such a key indicator of our spiritual maturity. It's like a litmus test of how we're doing. So maybe our mothers were right all those years ago when they said, stick out your tongue and we'll know whether you're healthy or not. So now, we are going to use our tongues for some good, and um, I'm going to invite some people up to come and give us some words, and we're going to have some prophecy time, and we're going to do some ministry. So can I invite the band back?